You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. Thank you for listening to Leaders and Legends. We're here today with Sue Elsperman, former state representative, former lieutenant governor of the state of Indiana, and now president for Ivy Tech. And we're very, very grateful for your time. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to our conversation today. And we are here with Danielle Shockey, who is CEO of Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Before I turn this entire podcast over to Danielle, Sue, tell us a little bit about where you're from, your various education degrees, and what kind of led you to Ivy Tech. It's a little long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, I'm from southern Indiana, a little town of Ferdinand, which is near Holiday World for many of those listeners out there that will know that place. Uh, And a Purdue engineer, went to to become an industrial engineer, worked for several large companies, General Motors, Michelin, Frito-Lay, prior to getting into a very specific uh, career, which was in creative problem solving. And in that, I helped companies got exposed at Frito-Lay, but helped companies across North America do better problem solving, strategic planning. And along the way, did my PhD at the University of Louisville to become better at unstructured problem solving, which by the way, for those listening who would say, what is that? That's all those problems that don't have a single right answer, like we were taught as engineers, right? It's like marketing problems and new products problems and How do you improve processes? So uh, that led me to the University of Southern Indiana, where I spent six years leading their Center for Applied Research and Economic Development, helping organizations in Southern Indiana improve, utilizing the resources of the university. And that's what got me into public service, hence to uh, Ivy Tech, and why the six years at, at USI really prepared me for the work in higher education. When did your family come over from Europe? Oh, golly. There's such a high concentration Uh, of... Yes, we're all German Catholics (laughs) down there, uh, located, you know, with a monastery in my hometown Mm -hmm. uh, and a seminary, St. Meinrad, just down the road, all which, by the way, were in my state house district. So I say I was from God's country, having both of those. But um, they immigrated in the 1860s, so a long time ago, and, and... a great heritage. When Purdue plays Louisville in basketball. Purdue. Danielle, over to you. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't even know when you were talking about complex problem solving. My question really was going to go to then your your time in public office, yes. right? What a complex problem to solve that is. Right. Lots of them and still lots there to be solved. But that is the reason I ran. You know, I said when when invited to run by uh, some people across the state, a, a governor at the time that wanted to have a majority in the House, it really, for me, was about 
How do we improve state government? How do we serve people better? And for me, it was a very um, nonpartisan approach, which is these are just all problems to solve. They're not Democrat or Republican. As you and I know from our, our backgrounds, there's just important work to do. So um, it was a different experience being a state rep. Uh, it wasn't something that my background prepared me all that well for. But you learn that um, wherever you are in public service, the more you can bring different people together, uh, both sides of the aisle, to solve problems, you'll probably get a better solution. Uh, so really enjoyed those years, with the exception of maybe right to work, which uh, serving on uh, as vice chair of that committee was uh, a challenging time because that right to work is actually a structured problem. It was you have it or you don't. So there wasn't a lot of in the middle opportunities, which made it more difficult because it became a very polarizing issue. It was the right decision for Indiana. That's much of the reason we've seen the economic growth we have post-recession. However, I'm still not happy that it was a divisive issue. We should have been able to talk about it in a in a more adult way. And it as those who survived that era and having a thousand people protesting you every day at the state house, you know, there has to be better ways to work through difficult challenges. So that was one of the more challenging moments of you stayed the, in the state. The years. Stayed in the state. I sure did. Didn't go and, to Illinois and No, but it was a lonely time at the state house as a new representative. That was the big walkout was my freshman year. And, you know, some of us freshmen thought, well, maybe we're not showering or something that people are staying away from us. But it, it was tough because then we didn't build the kind of relationships you should build during that freshman year. And then, of course, the second year was right to work, which just added to the challenges. I left that second year and actually made a phone call to one of my county chairs saying, I don't think I'm going to run in the next election. And he talked me back from the the ledge because I really felt disappointed in the way we had done the business. Even if we got the right outcomes, we didn't do it in a very good way. And that to me is not good for anyone. Uh, then a month later, I got a phone call from a now vice president to be his, uh, to consider being vetted as lieutenant governor. So um, I think all of it, you you take it in and use it as a learning experience. So you mentioned that was one of the most maybe challenging times. What was a complex problem that you felt maybe you solved either, either in your role as rep or as lieutenant governor that you're proud of? You know, I, I think there's uh, lots of different instances, but my first bill, which passed unanimously both the House and the Senate, was a young entrepreneur bill, which was a way to engage all those great students who were going on to get entrepreneurial degrees at our four-year schools across the state of Indiana. And, and at the time, because we were coming out of the Great Recession, every main street of our small towns had empty buildings and opportunities. And particularly our smaller towns and cities needed new talent. So this was actually a matching. It was allowing mayors, city councils, commissioners, to co economic developers to come together to actually hear the pitches from these entrepreneurial graduates. Uh, passed unanimously. Now, that's the good news. What you also learn, being a legislator, is put a sunset 
on your bills, what that means is this bill expires, this act expires in X number of years. I put a three-year sunset on it. For a really good sounding idea, it didn't do a lot. It wasn't a bad bill, but it didn't didn't result in lots of new businesses opening up on those main streets. So that's a reason sometimes you try things uh, to see so you you learn out of them. But along the way, um, I think I am proud of the work we did in economic development. I think we had good motives around uh, the work we were doing in education. I think we could have done it much better. And I would say that probably about all of the way I see um, the work that happens in the legislature and in our state house. It's hard work and it's messy. It's hardly ever elegant and beautiful, right? But we should always strive for that. So having been in the state house, some of the similar years you were, and you just described kind of this messy process, right? But it gets you to a result, hopefully a successful result for the people of Indiana. What, I, sometimes I just think, gosh, if the average Hoosier could step into the state house for a day, a week, what do you think is, mo- what, what do you think would be most surprising to them that you learned that just by being inside, I think most would be surprised at how often legislation is uh, either unanimous or majority, both sides of the aisle. Um, The things that we read about in the paper are often the times we don't work well together as opposed to those great successes. I always thought one of my recommendations to the speaker was that we ought to pick one goal that both sides of the aisle agree to each year. And then we ought to just commit to working together on the things we agree on and focus on moving that ball forward and let that be the focus, much like we do with strategic plans and organizations which help us move forward. Um, And then we'll still have the other things, but at least Hoosiers then would have a great example of that area of focus. Sometimes it happens. It happened a couple years ago, I believe, on the roads the infrastructure bill, that we did that. But there's areas like health care and others that we could we could do that in a much stronger way and see much more measured progress. So I'm not going to date your age. Um, in the, but you can. <laughs> it's on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, no, sure. but no, the, in early, I'm knocking on 60. Not or, there, but knocking on the door. No, I was just going to take you back to undergrad Purdue, right? When you're a boilermaker in the early 80s, late 70s. If someone had said, you know what, someday you're going to work in the state house. Sometime, somebody, you're going to be lieutenant governor. Would that have ever crossed your mind? Not ever. In fact, I always tell this because I'm still embarrassed that in high school, I paid no attention at all in my government class. You know, I was going to be an engineer. I didn't need to know this stuff. So I regularly apologize to my government teacher who lives down the road from me now. Um, So I tell students, don't ever assume that you know what happens when you assume. Don't assume because you never know where you will be. And again, that said, I wouldn't give up those six years anything. That was a learning experience that I know few Hoosiers ever get to have. It's a privilege to travel throughout the state of Indiana to share the high moments and some low moments as well uh, with Hoosiers to represent Indiana on trade missions across the world. Um, it And then just to get to know what makes each community special. 
that has really been my greatest gift in coming in to my position today is understanding the difference between Gary and Terre Haute and Evansville and Sellersburg and you name the community, having visited all 92 counties and spent time in each of those communities and counties, you see what's special and you understand the unique challenges that each have. And they're not the same. They're, they're all important, but they're not the same. So you and I must, um, that's funny. I have that exact same response to what did I take away from my four years working um, at the Department of Education and bringing to the Girl Scouts is every community has their unique um, richnesses and challenges and what can we do to serve all in that community, right? And in my case with Girl Scouts and now your case with Ivy Tech. Well, thank you for doing that with Girl Scouts. It's so important that we serve our girls. They are the future of our communities. I agree. So let's shift a little bit to Ivy Tech. So I grew up in Indiana, I graduated high school, college, all those things. And I feel very strongly, and, and I was a school principal, right, mm-hmm. that our, our perception of community college and opportunities and dual credit and just all the ways in which students can access a really successful future is is gently evolving. Um, so much so, like I'm always warmed when I see Facebook posts of career signing days and not just college signing days, Agreed. right? So talk to our listeners who may not fully understand even the concept and the construct of Ivy Tech. What is Ivy Tech? Um, number of campuses, all those kind of things, the basic 101, and then let's start talking a little bit about the role that you play and some of the goals you have. I'll start by saying why I wanted to be here at Ivy Tech. I realized when I was traveling to all those communities and seeing and meeting with employers and understanding they could not find the talent they needed to grow. And that was just post-recession. That's not today when we're at less than 4% unemployment as a state. That was when we were still 8 to 10% unemployment. So understanding that, you have to think, how do we get there? Uh, you were in the state house when we developed the Indiana Career Council strategic plan, which under, we understood that if Indiana was going to thrive, we had to improve educational attainment. We adopted the Lumina goal of 60% of our workforce having a post-secondary degree or credential by 2025. We've made progress, but we can't get there without Ivy Tech Indiana's community college being the engine. In fact, our estimates and the way we've built our strategic plan is that where we're sitting in the mid-40s in educational attainment, have this 17-ish, 16 to 17% gap uh, by 2025, which is not that far away, um, Ivy Tech can be between a percent and a half and 2% of the lift for the state. And that's where we set our goal at 50,000 credentials per year. We'll be about 35,000 this year, up from 20,000 when I arrived three years ago. It is imperative that uh, if Hoosiers are going to have, uh, be able to be in the middle class and thrive and industry is going to grow and choose to be in Indiana, we have to have the talent to fill those jobs. They're not going to look like the jobs in the 70s and 80s. When I worked for General Motors and at one of the assembly plants, you would have a thousand workers on those assembly lines making good wages. Those jobs are not here. 
we now need machine operators, technicians, IT, um, software developers, you know, think about artificial intelligence, all the things that, that are coming. We need every Hoosier, every high school student, which is where we overlap with dual credit and the, important, the importance of helping those high school students earn their first credential before they graduate high school. We can do that with dual credit and dual enrollment so that they can get at least a step up on that career ladder. Uh, but as importantly is, again, having a majority of our students going on to post-secondary, a two-year associate degree or four-year degree from all of our esteemed universities. We are a rich environment for higher education in Indiana, but we need students to do that. And even if we are successful at the 18-year-olds going on, we can't meet the Lumina goal. We have to have adults come back. Uh, the majority of our students at Ivy Tech are adults. Um, only 8% of our student body, which is almost 100,000 in our traditional programming, only 8% are first-time, full-time students. 92%, um, well, I will say of that 92, uh, 60% are part-time, right? So we are very much a non-traditional uh, institution. We are here to serve all kinds of Hoosiers that are, will start at some homeschool students, maybe at age 15 or so, up to those who are retired out of whatever career they're currently doing, and they still have another lap they want to take around the track. Um, and many career changers, many who their job no longer exists from those factory worker days into saying, okay, now what am I going to do? How do I bring in a good living for my family? And how do I proceed now that I'm 45 years old? What am I going to do the next 20 years? So that's really Ivy Tech's role as Indiana's community college. We're here to provide the middle skills training, but also the two plus two that first two-year degree, which is very affordable at about $10,000, as opposed to a residential college where you would spend easily fifty dollars or $60,000. So we have the, the right kind of programs to help uh, that learner, whichever direction they're going to go to be successful. Probably the thing I'm most proud about Ivy Tech now is that we have become what I'll call workforce-aligned we look at the data in every community we serve. We're 18 campuses, 40 locations across the state of Indiana. Um, and we look at the actual employer needs, that what are the workforce needs by program, uh, by degree, by type. And we uh, set up our campuses to have those programs. So, And we are challenging ourselves to get the numbers right. Like just because we have an IT program, how many students should we have in software development to meet Indianapolis's need? Until we meet that, we call that quadrant one. That's a very high demand area. But across all of our programs, we have that kind of thinking. And I'm proud of the campuses to do that. That is not easy. And I would venture to say that not many colleges or universities could say they're actually operating in that manner. It sounds like Ivy Tech has figured out how to pivot um, rather quickly. And again, 
when I look at other higher ed, some experience I've had working with them while I was at the Department of Ed, they don't pivot that quickly. Do you, is there a reason why you think you're able to kind of adjust to workforce by community? I mean, what is it that you've made happen here? Well, I will say that in 2016, the legislature gave us a very big wake-up call. There was you never want a bill that has your name on it in the legislature. It's usually not good. Um, but in this case, it was uh, House Enrolled Act three. I should remember a Senate Enrolled Act three hundred and one um, that required Ivy Tech to have a chief workforce officer focused on workforce alignment, reporting directly to the president, and approved by the state board of trustees. Uh, So that position was something I immediately implemented when I arrived, but knew it needed to be done. The good news of having that legislation is there was no pushback by my institution. They understood this was a directive from the General Assembly. We pivoted with that in your term and and used that to really stand up a robust uh, workforce alignment organization, which now over three years has matured in a way that... I don't think any other in the nation has done as we use MZ data, as we bring our advisory committees together, representing um, industry from each of those communities as well as statewide. So I think that, you know, having a burning platform always helps you to change. Um, the creative problem solving uh, that that I brought with is something that we now use regularly in everything. Every challenge we face that doesn't have an eminent solution is something we sit down in teams to solve. And that has created an agility about what we do. So we don't see problems as unsolvable. They're just big challenges. They're how might we's Mm -hmm. in, in our sense. And that kind of thinking has helped us to really embrace the mission that we have and though we're not there yet, we're getting we are getting closer and closer to really living the mission that Indiana has challenged us. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, our friend Aaron Shaler from Grandview Lending, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer. We are here with former Lieutenant Governor and current Ivy Tech president. Sue Elsperman, Ph.D., Purdue. So I get a lot of grief from someone somewhat associated with the podcast who is black and gold in her veins. And since I'm getting ready to send my son there so he can learn to be an airline pilot because he got into the aviation school. It's a great program. The former governor told me I had to send my kid there. Had to. What was it like at Purdue I don't know what year you graduated. In 82. So you were there for some a good basketball year, at least. Mm-hmm. 1980, they made it to the Final Four. Good football, too. That's right, because you probably had uh, Mark Herman. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. And I happened to march in the marching band at Purdue. So I was at Peach Bowl in 1978. So here's a preview. Extol the virtues of West Lafayette and the Purdue campus and going to Purdue for our friend Dina, the comms director for Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Well, I want to just admit, if you cut my veins, I bleed black and gold too. I've been known to teach my grandson, my first grandson, uh, to sing. You know, I 
sing the Purdue fight song like a lullaby so now he knows Hail Purdue uh, very well. That's just a prerequisite for my grandchildren. Um, but it Purdue was, I tell you, it's a great, it's a great uh, university. Um, being in the engineering program there was, I didn't realize till I got there how esteemed it was. Uh, as and is a, everyone just brilliant? I mean, I can only imagine the level of intelligence that's walking through the Purdue engineering buildings. It was intimidating, and I was not one of those. So I was intimidated <laughs> by it, but I figured I could outwork them. And uh, it, it it is a great engineering program. And being there when I was, uh, being a female was not normal. We were less than 10% of the engineering class. So we were still at the front end of um, being accepted as part of the profession. But Purdue, as it's doing today, was really leaning into having more women in engineering. So they had lots of supports. In fact, when my daughters were coming through high school, I required them to go through Women in Engineering Day at Purdue. Both daughters went to Purdue, and the youngest is a Ph.D. biomedical engineer. The oldest, halfway through, she almost made it. She, she started in, bio, uh, in biological engineering and ended up in neurobiology, so no regrets there either. It is a great school. Mitch has done a fabulous job holding that tuition, so you will pay uh, a, a oh. very affordable rate compared to uh, some just other stop places. It, you will pay. <laughs> we all do that, <laughs> unless you want your son. Now we don't have that aviation flight program, except maybe one campus. But uh, there are ways to help even your son make that more affordable with Ivy Tech. And in, in 1980, Louisville won the national championship. Did they beat Purdue in the Final Four? You know, or I did don't Purdue remember. Lose to UCLA. You Point know. is, is that you had your two future schools <laughs> in the same Final Four being played at Market Square Arena. Did you go to the tournament games? Oh no, I was a working. I was a co-op student working every other semester while I went through school. I was probably in Flint, Michigan, with General Motors at the time. So it was very much a working time for me. But I certainly um, have enjoyed Purdue athletics. More recently, I had the Louisville Alumni Association approach me to be engaged when we played, when they played Purdue two years ago at Lucas Oil. It was a great game, but I said, oh no, I'll be there in my black and gold. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can support them any other time. But uh, yeah, good were, goals. What were your or what are your feelings and impressions and thoughts and opinions about Mitch Daniels taking over your alma mater? How did you feel at the time? I mean, were you privy to some scoop there? Did you know what was going on? I mean, you were lieutenant governor, as I recall. When well, he, he, announced he had already before, announced, yes. But you... Could not have been happier for Purdue. It is a tough transition for a non-academic to go into that presidency. I know his first months were uh, less sure than the ones since then. And he's done what needs to happen in higher education. And, and one of the reasons he is really noted as one of the nation's uh, strongest presidents in changing higher education, um, we are going to see a much different world. And 
I'm confident now Purdue will be at the front of that change, um, will work through it in very productive ways. I, I am fearful for, and we, we're seeing it in many private schools where enrollments are struggling. And as I talk about adults, adults who need to come back, they're not going to come back in that traditional way. The Kaplan purchase was just brilliant. And Purdue Global is now becoming a brand name nationally, which is needed out there. Um, just as we at Ivy Tech, we're looking at how do we continue to change our, we've taken, gone from 16-week courses to eight-week courses because our students learn better, they're more successful, uh, they they make it through, and they can take more credits in a shorter period of time. Uh, we're reinventing our online education. All of those are just normal things that have to be come routine, which in a uh, an institution as esteemed as Purdue is much more difficult to do than here. I appreciate the great work that Mitch is doing. I hear it from um, all of the people I'm around nationally and locally, uh, supportive from parents to alumni to uh, national leaders that are watching what's happening there and uh, see it see it as very forward thinking. And you get a chance, your peers, your peer presidents now. We you are. You get a chance to talk much to him and bounce ideas off and say, you know, thank you for what you're doing for my alma mater. And I mean, really, I hate to say this and you correct me if I'm wrong, but Mitch Daniels is one of the ones who got Ivy Tech rolling because he saw the need back when he was governor. Well, there he still is a great mentor to me, someone that I go to when when I have a, a big idea to bounce off somebody, um, but just appreciative that he sees the full picture. I think that's maybe something that he and I, having had statewide roles, understand the criticalness of our institutions for the success of the state and everything we can do to move more rapidly and more intentionally to support Indiana's economy and ensuring that each Hoosier has a great opportunity before them is very important work. Well, I should say in a quick plug before I turn it back over to Danielle, and that is we have now had three university presidents appear on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our podcast with Governor's da Governor Daniels, president of Purdue University, will be released in August, but we just had one with Dan Elsner, who's doing phenomenal work yes, at Marion University. And so we really appreciate this chance to hang out with the smart people. Well, you have at least two out of three, but... <laughs> but I'm not sure which number I am. <laughs> well, Suits the only one's got the PhD. <laughs> there you go. Um, so think, you mentioned two plus two. And so describe, I think that is something that's really exciting that our average listener may not understand. As a mom of four daughters and Robert, you should have known this four years ago. Describe two plus two and how it can make a difference financially for I, families. I'll do two math equations. I'll do two plus two and one plus three because that degree in three is very possible today, uh, thankfully to the Higher Education Commission and DOE. So um, let me talk two plus two first. That, that is completing an associate degree that articulates perfectly to a four-year degree. They're called TSAPs. Don't no one's going to remember that, transfer single articulation uh, programs. But the we call them transfer as a junior. If they complete 
the two-year, which gives them the competencies to be a junior at their four-year public institution, it's a perfect transition, no lost credit, two plus two gets you out in four with, as I said before, $10,000 in your first two years, and then two years of a public or private school after that. Um, The one plus three is something that I think every parent should be aware of, because in most cases, in most of our high schools in Indiana, students can earn dual credit for free, or we are free. Ivy Tech is free. Not all institutions offer it free, but we're free. But for free, for that first 30 credit hours, which is called the State Transfer uh, Gen Ed Core, those that freshman year of general education courses that every student must take, that if they take all 30 credits towards that fit within the uh, STGEC, they are a sophomore. When, and the four-year public must accept that 30-hour block. The challenge is making sure our high schools offer all 30 credits. Um, but even if they don't, parents should know that their students could finish that block at Ivy Tech as a dual enrollment course, it would still only cost about $500 a course, right? So if they need one or two, it really matters. Uh, I have heard stories of and seen (laughs) illustrations of students who have taken their dual credit and that college might only take 12 or 15 hours of their 27 if they had had 30 aligned to the STGEC, as we call start as a sophomore, that would have ensured that they got the full block and that full freshman year. And then it truly is a degree in three. And that's something that Mitch and I agree on. We should, to make college affordable, helping students, particularly those who have earned that dual credit already, have the competencies that come with that, they should not need to stay in college for four years just because, um, you know, they might be having some fun, but that's very <laughs> expensive fun uh, that they will pay for later, right, in, in those loans, whether that's families or whether that's theirs, student loans. So that degree in three is very feasible in Indiana, and it's something we should be so proud of because our General Assembly, our Department of Education, our Higher Ed Commission has created this seamless path, but for our students, parents, and counselors being intentional to get that. And the workforce needs them. Absolutely. It gets them out a year sooner. There there are jobs out there for those who are pursuing college now in most areas. Again, we're at Ivy Tech very intentional about making sure we're uh, counseling students into those high demand, high wage areas. But yes, there are there are right now over 100,000 open jobs in Indiana, which about half of those require a post-secondary credential. So 50,000 easily available right now for Hoosiers to move into. So you talked about those systems have all worked well together to get us thus far. Where is the missing link? Who's not getting the message? Is it is it the student? Is it the counselor? Is it the parent? Is it like, yes. how are we? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, it Now, you know, first of all, my, my husband is a retired high school principal. So I do understand a little bit about our secondary schools. And our counselors are overwhelmed. They can't possibly um, be doing the amount of career 
counseling that we want them to do. So we're trying to do more and more of that as we can afford to do it with what we call college connection coaches that we have in a number of high schools across the state. But that's yes. So counselors, we would hope that they know these things, but it's hard to know everything. Parents and and, um, students, we are trying to get closer to them to understand that these opportunities are out there. It's just a lot of parents and a lot of students. Um, So I think to the extent that DOE, our principals, our counselors, um, all those who work with students can can help get that word out. But it it is a uh, just a lot of knowledge that's unknown. It's information that is not known to those who are at that point. And probably because for some of us at this table, it didn't, dual credit didn't exist when I was in high school. Um, And so I think there's not a realization of just how valuable it is. And it is our task at Ivy Tech to help elevate that because 60% of all students in high school are taking Ivy Tech dual credit. So we know it is our responsibility. Wow. And last stat I knew is Indiana was like sixth worst in the country on our ratio of counselor to students. And so I think you're spot on right there. There's just not enough people who are talking to families and students about. And for us to use um, other methods wherever we can. Um, You know, we are in a social media world, so we do need to take advantage of all those methods. In fact, at Ivy Tech, all of our recruiting now, all of our marketing is done through social media, and it's very targeted to the students who ought to be coming, whether they're high school or adults, those who demonstrate the behaviors that they ought to be uh, coming on for some advanced skills training. Sure. So you've described, so Ivy Tech is unique. Indiana's system for what we're doing um, is kind of a leader in that way. Where do you think, you know, how did we get here? How did Indiana become so well-constructed to offer an Ivy Tech design? And are there any others like us? Or What's unique about Ivy Tech is we are a singly accredited community college system, which in most places, and I talked to New Jersey a few weeks ago, they were also 18 community colleges, but they all had their separate accreditation. And therefore, you couldn't go from one community and take a nursing or a software development program and transfer it easily to when you moved or got relocated to another community. That single accreditation is so important because that means we're offering the same programs across the state. So as you move, they that goes with you to that uh, that other location. Um, so our single accreditation is important, and it makes us one system of 100,000 students. Um, and the other pieces at the state house, we can represent this whole space. If we were one Evansville campus trying to make change in the General Assembly, that probably wouldn't work so well. And that's what happens in places like New Jersey, where 18 different voices are trying to get different things. We bring a united front. We work closely with all of our four-year partners. We work closely with Department of Education um, and try to act in the best interest of all of Indiana uh, to be that partner with K-12, as well as our four-year partners and employers. Your background is in academics, and you're at the University of Southern Indiana. 
What did you think of Ivy Tech when you were there? Were you saying, wow, this is this is an untapped resource or this is where people go who can't get into blah, blah, blah? Yeah, well, it was interesting. When I joined uh, USI in 2006, there was a perception that those students just weren't as good. Um, actually, what happens and what we know in reality, and we saw it at USI as well, uh, is that we would send more students each year from USI to Ivy Tech than Ivy Tech would send the other way, meaning we had many students who weren't prepared to be in the four-year school, and they needed to gain the confidence. They needed the small class sizes. They needed that back then we would call it remediation. Today, we do co-requisites, meaning you 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 are taking the real course while you get supplemental support side by side uh, and math pathways to make sure you're in the right math course, et cetera. So there was a realization even then that Ivy Tech had solutions that USI didn't have. They weren't built to take that, to be that open access institution. And today what we found and what my friend Mitch has shared at Purdue, Purdue looked at all of those Ivy Tech transfer students they get, any student who brought in Ivy Tech credit, turns out when they analyze them, those with Ivy Tech credit actually perform better than their native students, and they complete on time 10% more often. So that's really measurable. It says we know that the courses that we're giving our students when they do their two plus two with us, they're getting the same course, the same quality, if not better, it's it, it's at that same par. Um, they're, and they're doing that and what our students tell us in a smaller environment. When I was at Purdue, and your son will see some pretty large lecture halls, 300 students in a physics class. That's pretty intimidating to learn physics. Here, you'll probably be in a class of 15, maybe 20. We'll cap it at 30. Uh, that's a better learning environment. Plus, our faculty all have a master's and meet the credentialing, but they're here to teach students. They're not distracted by research. They're here with their their purpose, much like our teachers in high school. They're there to help that student learn. I have a son, Joshua, who'll be 30 in a month. And when he got out of high school and I talked to him like, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? And he was adamant that he was not going to go to college. Like not adamant that he was going to go, adamant that he was not going to go. And I asked him why. And he said, learn about Shakespeare and chemistry and all that stuff. I don't understand any of that. Now he ended up joining the military and uh, did two tours in Afghanistan. So he certainly contributed. But how do you get past the mental block of so many people who say, I don't want to learn about all that stuff. I want to learn about something that's going to make me money or make me happy. So that's where Ivy Tech is different. We're 60% of our students are going to go into the workforce when they leave here in an applied associate or technical certificate or certificate versus that four year. And let me explain when we think about workforce like software development, they, they can earn a certificate first, which is all about doing coding, 
software related, then to the technical certificate, which is our little broader skills. And then they take in that third stack to the associate, then they start taking the general eds. It's actually upside down to what they would have in a four-year school. Mm. That stack ability really serves someone like your son very well, because if they get what they wanted, that technical skill in the first 18 credits, they can go out and get a job. If they want to continue to grow their expertise in that field, they can get the technical certificate. If they say, oh, I want the associate because I want to complete that and possibly stack that with a bachelor's degree, they can then begin to fill out those general education requirements. It's very interesting because just in the last few years have we, again, become very intentional about that stack ability because it helps make sure that those who don't really want to be sitting in school can get what they need, build the skills, and go get a better job, move up that. And stackable credentials are definitely the way to go. My first uh, interaction with you was about 17 years ago when I served as the chair of the Veteran Affairs Policy Committee for the Pence campaign. It wasn't quite I, that long ago, but more like 10-ish. Did you say seven? 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, 2012, so that's yeah, right. Yeah, and we met, and I did a presentation in front of you yes. and Congressman Pence about the need to help yeah. veterans foster uh, entrepreneurship, my company, Veteran Strategies, is a veteran business enterprise. And the, the Pence administration, the Pence Elsmerin administration was phenomenal on veterans issues. Ivy Tech goes out of its way to recruit and help and educate veterans. How important is that mission to you? Oh, you know, these are our Hoosiers who have served our nation, um, are returning. They're number one, they bring like your son, bring back great skills from their service. Um, and we have to help them make that transition. So helping to crosswalk the credentials that they earned while in the military, which, oh, by the way, does a great job of training young men and women to do very difficult work. So it is our responsibility to ensure that they're able to make that smooth transition into hopefully back to Indiana, where we want to keep them. Um, it's very important. Every one of our campuses has a veteran services officer. Um, we just received a large federal grant to help us do even more on the, the veterans front. Um, but that said, there are unique needs of the veteran population. And the most difficult challenge we have as a community college is providing all the services, I'll call them wraparound services, right? Whether it's right. helping them get the counseling they need if there are mental health issues or other conditions they've come back with, making sure that we have disability services if someone comes back with a disability. Understanding um, their benefits, which is under, always a big problem. Correct. There's There are a lot of things that we are challenged to do as well as we'd like to. And it's a resource thing. So that's why we look for grants and things that will help us be able to serve um, because this group of Hoosiers deserves our service more than any. And we thank you. You're welcome. A few minutes ago, you mentioned being 10% in the engineering school. And I want to turn it over to Danielle in just a second because the Girl Scouts of Central Indiana have a phenomenal uh, 
thing, program and idea that they're working on. But my last question before we go to the five questions in a few minutes, Kathy Davis, Becky Skillman, Sue Elsperman, Suzanne Crouch, you're part of a very unique and historic sorority, not a fraternity. Do you guys chat much, the lieutenant governors past and present? I was with Kathy Davis yesterday at Lumina in a meeting, so I guess that says not, I mean, it's not often, but I am very proud to be part of uh, such a great group of women that I think are here to serve and have served Indiana in a good way. I do hope somewhere in the not too distant future, there's a female governor, number one, uh, up there. But I think who may we, have worked at Ivy Tech. In we, the past? I don't think that'll be the case. I'm, <laughs> I'm retired. But I think we've at least put enough cracks in the glass of that glass ceiling that that will happen in the not too distant future. I think it's it's important. But I'm proud of Indiana for having brought, you know, what's to know about the lieutenant governor's job in, in Indiana is it's one of the largest roles in the country of lieutenant governors in some states. It is very symbolic and you could go home and eat bonbons every afternoon and no one would miss you. Um, in Indiana, you oversee agencies. You are president of the Senate. You are secretary of agriculture. You are chair of the counterterrorism and security task force. There's a real role. Office of Community and Rural Affairs is an 80-hour-a-week job in well, and of itself. They're all important, and that is great executive experience for, and I. And so as I promote women into leadership of all kinds, it's a great place to learn skills and leadership and to have an impact at a broad level. May I have one more, Danny? Absolutely. Because we can't talk about women leaders Government and politics and Ivy Tech without mentioning Susan Brooks. Oh, yes. What a great, great leader she was here as she served as general counsel and in our workforce area. Um, But she has been an amazing gift to the state of Indiana as a congresswoman. We will miss her when she retires. I know many of us are are sad to see that, hopeful that... um, we will see a strong, equally strong congressional candidate that will go beyond her. But she's she is a great gift to the state of Indiana and one that has served her district and our state so well in so many roles in D.C. Would love to see Congress look a whole lot more like Susan Brooks. Amen. And in the final Veteran Strategies Leaders and Legends podcast plug of the day. Both Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch and Congresswoman Susan Brooks have agreed to come on Leaders and Legends. Excellent. You're part of a great group of women on this show, I have to say. Um, So since Robert queued it up and I can't not say it, right? So Girl Scouts is very excited to be launching into the charter school space in a K-8 all-girls STEM academy, hopefully to open in the fall of 21. And so really my question isn't about that, although I also would be remiss if I did not say thank you for your service on the Girl Scouts Board of Directors. My pleasure. So I think we know that you have a strong feeling for girls and that you would love to see them all succeed and maybe go into career pathways that 
makes them make up greater than 10%, right? Um, so what advice would you have for a girl who might be entering into something a little bit scary, whether it's politics, engineering, a space that really isn't quite the frontier for women as we hope it could be? Just what do you have to say for our young girls growing up in Indiana? So here's the thing that I think slows down most girls. We think we have to be perfect at everything before we apply for the job. Men don't think that at all. They know a little bit about it and they dive in, right? Um, so for I've been us, three times, so I get it. <laughs> so for us, we have to get over ourselves to thinking that we have to be perfect. That's what I've learned the most in the last handful of jobs that I have. I was 26 when I left Frito-Lay to start my own consulting firm and young to do that, but figuring, okay, what else can happen, but I'll have to go get a real job. For 20 years, that served me extremely well, uh, did well. Um, running for state rep, had no idea how to be a state rep, but figuring what's the worst thing that can happen, I'm going to lose. Uh, being lieutenant governor, I was very careful. I didn't want to make Mike look bad. So, uh, But figuring, look, I've done these other things. I can do this. And likewise, uh, as president of Ivy Tech, you don't walk in the door knowing everything. What you do need to know is how to learn and how to engage others, how to ask for help, how to have high standards, how to lean into change. And I think our girls, as we're raising them to be courageous, one of the core values of Girl Scouts, we just have to have them understand. And then, oh, by the way, sometimes you will fall. Mm -hmm. But when you fall, you get right back up and you learn a lot. You know, when I think about those experiences in life, whether I failed or nearly failed, you learn a lot and you get better from there. And I think if we don't put such impossible standards for ourselves, we would be amazed at how we rock in the things we do. And I hope the girls, and that's what I've tried to do as I raise my daughters, is understand you're not going to know it all. Just give it a shot, do your best, and you'll be surprised at how darn good you are. I, I love what's the worst that can happen. You will learn something regardless of what the outcome is. Exactly I agree. Right. So, Robert, the five questions. You are listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast, sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, presented by Veteran Strategies. Also, we have our friend Aaron Shaler of Grandview Lending and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer as local sponsors. And we're always looking for more. And quite frankly, we're very pleased to have former Lieutenant Governor Sue Elsperman on the podcast today. So we end the podcast with the same five questions. Only one person has ever got the questions in advance. <laughs> Mitch Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so number one, what was your first job? I worked in my dad's jewelry store on Main Street, Ferdinand, at age 13 as a sales rep. So when your husband said, let's go look for a ring, you said, don't, don't go chintzy. The diamond had to come from Baglin's jewelry. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <that is> a... <laughs> Number two, what was your first concert? Uh, Chicago in probably 1975 at Mesker Park Amphitheater in Evansville. That's a good one. We have not yet had Chicago as a first concert. If you could recommend any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? 
So as I use the words a lot for girls, it would be Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. It is her story, a COO of Facebook, and uh, the experiences that she had as a woman and what she learned along the way, the differences. So I think it's a must read for females. All right. I've not read it. You have not read it? I'm just thinking what a great gift for all the board members of Girl Scouts. Like, it's a great dialogue. It's a it veteran is. strategy. I thought I might have the, uh... it here somewhere, but in my office, but I don't see it right now. It means it's at home. All right. Put it on my list. Question number four. If you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens. We're actually recording this on July 16th which is both the liftoff of the Apollo 11 mission and 50th anniversary of walking on the moon. No, it's no? the liftoff today, but it's also the anniversary of the detonation of the first atomic bomb, oh, okay. July 16th, 1945. I don't want to be there. I don't <laughs> What would you like to witness in history? Oh goodness. I do want to witness the first woman president. Hopefully, I'll be here. That's going to be important. Uh, so, um, the first Purdue national championship, <laughs> multiple Purdue national championships. Let's make that plural. That would be it. The one, nothing in history that you would go back. Oh, and- go back. You know, I uh, I'm a really a forward looking person. I don't really spend much. My husband says I never use my rearview mirror. And that's pretty close to the truth. That's why I'm glad they have those beeps that your car makes now. But I am very forward looking. I think the best days are always ahead of us. If you, last question, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world right now living two hours, talk about anything you want off the record, whom would you choose? Can I tell you, I had that goal and um, I've gotten to live it because the people, there were two people I really wanted to have dinner with, spend time with, and that was Richard Luger. What a wonderful man. He remains one of my great mentors and one of Indiana's great statesmen and Congressman Lee Hamilton, who is also has become a very good friend and I've gotten to spend time with him. So Those were the two that I would always say, that's who I want to sit down with. But I've had the privilege of getting to facilitate the two of those in political civility conversations about how did we get where we are in our state of politics and what should we be doing to become a more civil uh, politic, if you will. So um, I've been, I feel pretty blessed to have, have gotten to spend time with some and And I have, whether it's Mitch Daniels or uh, other individuals, having gotten to spend four years with a great man and Mike Pence as our VP now, I feel pretty blessed to have gotten to spend time with some great, great folks. Well, we're the ones who are blessed today and honored and thrilled. Thank you very much, former Lieutenant Governor Sue Elsperman, current president of Ivy Tech, for imparting your wisdom and your life story, and all the amazing things that are happening at this critical institution. Thank you, Danielle, from Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. And until next time, this is the Leaders and Legends podcast, and I'm your co-host, Robert Vane. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. 
you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.